0: Troutman Pepper has been producing podcasts focusing on issues across all of our practice groups that clients are facing due to the impacts from COVID-19. Today's podcast is part two of a two-part series focusing on terminating and renegotiating commercial leases. We will discuss some litigation trends we have seen regarding commercial leasing during COVID-19. I am Gary Knopf. I'm a real estate partner at Troutman Pepper and joining me today are my fellow partners from the business litigation group, Brian Watt and Justin Weber. Our discussion today is on litigation outcomes and trends for commercial leasing during COVID-19. Brian, it's great to be here with you to talk about this litigation surrounding commercial leasing. What sort of uh, litigation are you seeing between tenants and landlords, and what have the outcomes
1: been? Hey, Gary. Uh, It's great to be here with you as well. Hard to believe it's uh, been almost a year since the pandemic hit, Uh, and I recall thinking back in March uh, or April of 2020 that the pandemic would produce a wave of real estate litigation between landlords and tenants. Uh, And we did. We we saw that over the summer, Uh, cases were filed all over the country as a result of tenants facing challenges paying their rent or tenants not being able to operate their businesses due to governmental orders that shut down or restricted their business operations. Uh, most of those cases were filed by landlords seeking to hold tenants responsible for rent that was accruing when the tenant had either closed down the business or was facing significant declines in, in revenues because of the pandemic. Although we have seen some cases filed by uh, tenants who went on the offensive trying to get a court to excuse their performance under a lease. Months have gone by uh, and we are now starting to see the results of some of those cases uh, in the, as they wind their way through the courts. Uh, I think it's still too early to make any sort of broad definitive statements, but we are starting to see several trends coming out of those cases. Uh, First and foremost, I think it's going to be tough for tenants seeking to avoid their obligations under commercial leases because of the pandemic. Uh, Again, there's still many cases yet to be decided, but the early results uh, suggest that courts are reluctant to excuse commercial tenants from compliance with their leases uh, simply because of the pandemic. Um, There are some more nuanced trends emerging as well. For instance, uh, I think we're likely to see courts making a distinction between cases where a lease has a force majeure clause and where the lease does not contain a force majeure clause. Uh, Where the contract has a force majeure clause, we're seeing courts more likely to excuse a tenant's performance uh, under the theory that COVID-19 qualifies as a, quote, natural disaster that is beyond the control of the parties. Uh, A district court in New York recently held that the pandemic fell within that uh, item, natural disaster, that's commonly found in force majeure clauses. Uh, And in that case, the tenant's performance under a commercial lease was excused. Uh, Where the lease does not contain a force majeure clause, tenants are usually left with common law doctrines of uh, impossibility uh, of performance or frustration of purpose. Um, The other trend that I think we'll see, which is starting to be borne out in the case law, Uh, is that courts are more likely to excuse tenant's performance based on frustration of purpose or impossibility where the object of the contract is some singular event rather than an open-ended obligation like a multi-year commercial lease. Uh, And that makes sense because these doctrines, impossibility and frustration of purpose, when properly invoked, are usually seen as a a temporary suspension of contractual obligations. Uh, And where the contract is based on a specific event like a one case involved a wedding, another case involved an auction that were scheduled to take place on a date certain, then frustration of purpose or impossibility defenses are properly invoked because the, the object of the contract has been completely destroyed. Um, on the other hand, where a contract is in, is is an exchange based on years of contemplated performance, it's a much harder argument for the tenant to say that the parties have been deprived of the contract's value entirely. Because The business could come back, and that's what people are expecting. So it'll be interesting to see how these cases are decided over the uh, the coming weeks and months. That's that's really great uh, analysis there.
0: You know, I'm really interested about the frustration of purpose argument, and in particular, just being a transactional lawyer, we, we we've been hearing it for some time now. You know, in particular, tenants will argue that an entire lease should be terminated because of. Of a nuance where you know they wanted to use it for a particular purpose but um maybe the lease says it or doesn't say it justin can you talk a little bit about the frustration of purpose clause and what you're seeing in terms of actual decisions as opposed to what tenants may just be arguing in practice
2: sure yeah i'd be happy to thanks gary late last year and certainly early this year we've been seeing a number of cases that have been decided that involve frustration of purpose and many of these cases not surprisingly ever ar- uh, arisen in a bankruptcy context so By way of framework frustration of purpose uh, relates to the purpose of the contract rather than a party's actual inability to perform the action that the party seeks to be excused so for example there may be nothing that makes it physically impossible or impractical to pay the rent but the purpose of the lease may still be frustrated and in these cases what we're seeing is courts initially looking to see whether the business risk was allocated by the parties and if the parties haven't allocated that risk, then looking to apply the common law doctrines like frustration of purpose. In a couple of the cases, um, I think uh, that I wanted to highlight, you see different approaches. So uh, recently, in the last several months, there was a case in the bankruptcy court in the Southern District of Texas, where the court looked at leases that were uh, drafted under Washington, California, and North Carolina law. And the court held that the frustration of purpose did not excuse the performance under those leases because the contracts had expressly allocated responsibility for the loss in the face of an event, and the parties uh, had specified that in the contract. And so the court held essentially that there was no room to apply the common law doctrine of frustration of purpose. The court held that the risk that those governmental regulations could and did disrupt the lease activities was specifically contemplated by the party um, through their force majeure provisions. That's not the result that um, all cases have reached, however. Um, There's a recent case from the uh, Superior Court in Massachusetts, where the court found that frustration of purpose actually did excuse the obligations of a party for a period of time. And that case involved the operation of a cafe And what was important about that case, and as you mentioned, uh, the language of the lease is really important. The lease provided that the premises could only be used to operate a cafe with a sit down restaurant menu and for no other purpose. So the purpose that was identified was very narrow. The court held that the parties had not otherwise allocated the risk and that the obligation to pay rent was excused during the period of time when Massachusetts had ordered uh, indoor dining to be eliminated. And so for at least the period of time when indoor dining was eliminated, the court held the purpose of the lease was frustrated and the obligation to pay rent for that period of time was discharged or suspended. There've been some other decisions, I think that I'm also bare uh, noting, um, and it, it really shows how in the context of frustration of purpose or analyzing that, the lease language is really important. One of those cases was in the uh, bankruptcy court in the Southern District of Florida. And the court discussed frustration of purpose at length, but then really focused on the language of the party's agreement. And the court held that uh, payment of rent was excused during a period of time while the theater was closed, but that the party was required to pay rent, full rent, even for the period of time when the theater was only operating at 50% capacity. The court discussed frustration of purpose, but characterized a, a provision that it called an excuse of breach provision and held that the lease was actually extended for the period of time when the purpose was frustrated or the theater couldn't operate. And interestingly, the court held that the tenant would also have an obligation to pay rent during that period of time, during that extension period that would be tacked on to the end of the lease term. So although the court um, focused on frustration of purpose, the analysis really hinged on the language of the party's agreement. And that's, I think, a takeaway from the frustration of purpose cases that we're seeing. And it's the advice we've been providing our clients from the outset, which is, you need to know your lease language because it's going to dictate, or at least be a guide to the resolution of the case.
0: That's interesting. You know, Brian and I are are working on or he's working on the case, but it's a a mutual client where, you know, it seems like the um, use clause is coming into play. Really, uh, it is really important where, you know, you draft it, you know, especially when we draft a use provision in a lease, you know, we draft it uh, pretty narrowly. But, you know, when you say it's for office purpose, you don't specifically dictate what type of office that is. Brian, can you talk a little bit about that and and how do broad use clauses impact that kind of argument?
1: Yeah, that's that's right, Gary. I I think broadly worded use clauses will ultimately uh, undermine a tenant's reliance on frustration of purpose or uh, impossibility uh, defenses. Um, As you just noted, if a commercial or an industrial landlord grants its tenant use of certain space for... The, the typical language we see is for any lawful use or for, in the case that you mentioned, uh, for general office purposes. Uh, I think it's a, it's a much harder argument for a tenant to make uh, that the use contemplated by the parties has been rendered impossible or, or even impracticable uh, by the pandemic. Um, a tenant could still realize some value in the leased space, even if it needs to adjust its business model. And we've seen some cases, particularly out of New York State Court, uh, where that's been the holding, that uh, the, the, the contemplated use in the lease uh, is what controls, and if it, there's a way to uh, continue utilizing that space uh, consistent with the use provision, uh, courts are are loath to uh, to excuse a tenant's uh, obligations. Uh, On the other hand, um, if a lease expressly contemplates some specific use, uh, Justin's example a few minutes ago about uh, a specific type of restaurant that had to be open perhaps during certain times of the day, uh, or the more common examples that we've seen such as a a, a theater or a bowling alley or a gym where the the specific leased premises um, contemplate some specific use. then I think the pandemic could be found to have fundamentally frustrated the intent of the parties in entering into the lease.
0: Interesting. I'm gonna switch gears a little bit, I guess, to you know, the natural disaster aspect of this argument transactional lawyers will draft leases and, you know, we draft the condemnation provision, it gets negotiated hours on on length. And, you know, we've got it all figured out if it's condemnation, There's a casualty. We got it all figured out, you know, if the building burns down, which, you know, rarely happens, but it's rare, you know, talk about Justin, if you you could talk a little bit about why you focus on the natural disaster argument with respect to the pandemic and how that affects your argument
2: yeah that the cases interpreting natural disaster are important especially if the force majeure provision is is general or narrow so um, if a force majeure provision talks about it applying if there's a force of nature or a natural disaster you may be wondering can i use that provision is it unlocked and can i use it or, or doesn't it apply here so many of the force majeure provisions that we see talk about government restrictions and talk about other types of events beyond the control of the parties but some of them don't and are limited to natural disaster or similar events and so in in looking at whether the pandemic uh, qualifies as a natural disaster it might not be surprising that there's some conflicting case law at least that you can find decisions out there on either side Um, brian mentioned a, a case in new york um earlier in this podcast and you know one of the cases in new york held that the pandemic did qualify as a natural disaster and allowed the defendant to invoke a uh, contract's termination clause. And in there, the, the court relied heavily on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decision that interpreted the governor's uh, authority to issue executive orders under the Emergency Management Code. And so query whether um, other cases that would be interpreting general common law would, would reach the same result. There are also decisions that hold that the pandemic is not a a force of nature. There's a district court in Texas that was interpreting the Texas Insurance Code and a provision that uh, applied um, to uh, when a force of nature occurred, and the court held that the pandemic was not a force of nature. So in this context, if you have a narrow force majeure provision that applies where there's a natural disaster or some other force of nature, I think it's important to look, um, you can find decisions on either side of the issue, but I would um, strongly advise that you look at cases that are not decided specifically in a statutory context because in the statutory context, there are other issues at play. Um, But I think that if you're trying to find whether your force majeure provision has been unlocked, you're gonna be able to find case law authority on either side of that issue. Interesting.
0: So we've talked a lot about, um, you know, really tenants and landlords trying to either get out a lease or keep a lease in effect. Um, and that seems to be, at least in early onset, one of the, you know, big, what we thought was going to be the biggest disputes coming out of this or you're going into it. You know, Brian, can you talk a little bit about some other unexpected disputes that we've seen?
1: Yeah. Um, so, Gary, as you mentioned, most of the cases that we've seen, uh, Arise out of a landlord seeking to hold a tenant responsible for some sort of uh, obligation under a lease. That's sort of the, the typical uh, COVID-19 real estate litigation that we've seen, but um, there have been some unexpected uh, disputes arising from the pandemic. Um, Gary, you and I uh, do a lot of work together, and I remember talking with you about a year ago, I think it was March of 2020, Um, where we thought that some of our uh, retail and restaurant clients would just be decimated uh, by the pandemic, especially the the restaurants that uh, depended on dining rooms remaining open. Um, But what we saw was, at least for some quick service restaurants uh, that were forced to close their dining rooms, um, they saw huge increases in drive-through traffic. Uh, most of the time, these quick service restaurants have what are called cross-access easement rights uh, over the common areas of the shopping center uh, in which they're located. Uh, but what we are seeing is that there's this increase in drive-through traffic, where sometimes these these drive-through lines back up onto adjoining properties. That's called the drive-through stack, and sometimes it it bleeds over onto adjoining properties, uh, and the neighboring businesses and landowners are understandably uh, unhappy about that, and they're complaining that the increased traffic uh, amounts to an overburden of the easement. We've actually seen some, some litigation spawned as a result. Um, we are actively involved in some of these cases. We're monitoring other cases that are, that are similar to these uh, across the country. Um, but so far, uh, these, are, these are relatively new, and it's, it's probably too early to predict how these will uh, play out in the long run.
0: Yeah, I do remember talking about that. It's hard to believe it's been a year. It kind of feels. Sometimes it feels like a year. Sometimes it feels like a week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, funny how time flies like that. Um, so, Justin, I'm a, I'm, you know, we represent a lot of landlords. We also represent a lot of tenants. But let's say I'm a landlord and um, my tenant's not paying rent, and I don't know what else to do, and I want to pursue litigation. What's our takeaway here?
2: Yeah, there there are two takeaways, um, and the one that I already mentioned it comes from the case law which is focus on the lease language, because that's gonna be a guide to whether there's room for a a tenant or a counterparty to assert a common law doctrine, but start and be grounded in the language of the lease, because that's gonna be the best guide as to the outcome of the particular dispute. But the second takeaway is, as a party's considering litigation, you really need to think about what remedy you want or you need. For example, in some jurisdictions, frustration of purpose essentially requires a rescission of the contract. And so if you're in a jurisdiction where the remedy for frustration is rescission, you better know that, um, or know whether it's potentially an extension of the term of the contract, because you don't wanna make an argument only to find that the remedy is to terminate a lease or to perhaps extend it, rather than to excuse a, a lease obligation.
0: Well, thank you for that. Thank you both, actually. Thank you for joining us today to discuss these important issues. Uh, Really informative. Uh, Thank you also to our listeners. And for more information on the topics we discussed today or other real estate topics related to COVID-19, please visit the Troutman Pepper COVID-19 Resource Center located at covid19.troutman.com. And of course, if we can help you navigate any of these issues discussed during this podcast, please do not hesitate to contact any of our panelists. You can subscribe and listen to other Troutman Pepper podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and stay safe.
2: Copyright Troutman Pepper Hamilton Sanders LLP. These recorded materials are designed for educational purposes only. This podcast is not legal advice and does not create an attorney client relationship. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual participants. Troutman Pepper does not make any representations or warranties, express or implied, regarding the contents of this podcast. Information on previous case results does not guarantee a similar future result. Users of this podcast may save and use the podcast only for personal or other non commercial educational purposes. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission of Troutman Pepper. If you have any questions, please contact us at Troutman.com.